0: Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is your proprietor, Tony Ortega, coming to you from an undisclosed location deep inside the interior of the Earth's crust, otherwise known as the Underground Bunker. We're still going through the wreckage of the Danny Masterson trial, which ended with a hung jury on November 30th. And one thing that surprised us about the interview we did with Chris Shelton of the jury foreman was the revelation that the jury had largely ignored the Scientology component of the case. And it reminded us that Judge Charlene Olmedo had not allowed the prosecution to bring in a Scientology expert, former Sea Org official Claire Headley, to explain Scientology's policies to the jury. Would that have made a difference? We decided to ask Claire herself about the trial and what she might have brought to it if she'd been allowed to testify. Well, we're really happy today at the Underground Bunker to have back Claire Headley, who has been such a great uh, guest for us in the past. How are you doing, Claire?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Well, the Mm -hmm. reason I wanted you to have have you back at this point was, uh, you know, we're still dealing with the um, end of the mistrial in the Danny Masterson case, and we're still waiting to hear about whether this January tenth hearing is gonna go on and the DA is gonna retry it. But I thought going looking back at the trial, one of the things that happened was that Judge Olmedo decided not to allow you to testify. How did you get yes. that news?
1: Um from your website. <laughs> Oh okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um I mean obviously I I knew that um I mean I had talked with the DA's office and the role that they were looking for was um specifically in regards to understanding the ethics and justice procedures in Scientology and how um those would have impacted these victims in terms of how they processed and dealt with the crimes that they're alleging were committed against them. So right. it and was, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So from my, from my time in RTC, obviously as a, um, as a sec checker, as a, you know, an ethics person, um, that was kind of what they were looking for um, to assist the jury in understanding the, um, what went down and in retrospect and and so obviously it was nothing to do with any of the facts of the case I don't know any of the victims personally I've never talked to them Um it was nothing to do with any of that nothing to do with my own experiences it was purely and simply how does Scientology deal with these things procedurally and organizationally and um And honestly, kind of thinking back over it the last few days, knowing that you and I were going to talk, I do think a huge part of the problem here is that putting putting all of this into a bucket and slapping it with a label called religion is utter crap, because how an organization deals with crimes has nothing to do with your spiritual beliefs, your personal beliefs, has nothing to do with that.
0: That's uh, you make a great point there. And I wish the jury had heard that, um, mm-hmm. you know, as we were going into it, um, things had changed last year at the preliminary hearing. um Danny Masterson's defense attorney, Tom Mesro, kind of seemed like he wanted to make Scientology a big part of it himself. And right. he actually brought, he brought in the ethics book and he was basically claiming so just a real quick background for those who aren't 100% sure what we're talking about. Danny Masterson, the uh, That 70s Show actor, grew up in Scientology. He's a well-known Scientology celebrity, very involved in Scientology events and kind of defending the church. He's accused of raping three women who were Scientologists at the time. They're not Scientologists today. And one of the issues is that these occurred quite a few years ago. And the women, part of their story is that they 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 were terrified of Scientology and coming forward. And so uh, last year at the preliminary hearing, Danny Masterson's attorney was saying, hey, this is all a plot by Leah Remini to bring down Scientology. And he himself brought Scientology into it. And that the judge kept mentioning that each time the defense later tried to get it out. But once we got to trial, his new defense attorney, this Philip Cohen, kept saying he didn't want Scientology in the trial in any form. And the judge then made a decision, and it was a complex decision. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, she was saying, you know, these women need to describe these Scientology policies to help explain why they did what they did. That doesn't mean that the court is going to examine Scientology beliefs and whether or not what these women are saying is correct or not. Simply you know, how they felt. And so yes. she, and then, but then the, the prosecution also wanted to bring you in as an expert to explain it. Now, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you saw that her reasoning, Judge o'mado's reasoning was that the women had done a, an adequate job in the prelim last year, explaining these policies and how they felt about them, that she felt that you're uh your expert testimony wasn't needed. She wasn't criticizing you at all. It was just that yeah. she was saying that these women are, are doing an adequate job. Well, then the trial yes. happened. And then, you know, the first day of testimony, uh, Jane Doe 1 is testifying and Deputy DA Mueller is leading her through her case. And, you know, Scientology just keeps coming up because that's, I mean, if you, especially with Jane Doe 1's case, I mean, First, she reported the rape to the church. The church told her not to call it rape. Told her not to go to the police. When she did go to the police, and and it didn't turn into anything, then they made her do this whole, you know, NDA where they threatened to, you know, declare her. I mean, it's just shot through with Scientology, and the judge was really upset. She said there was too much Scientology too fast. Now later on, Mm -hmm. like Mueller was able to get a certain amount in, and there was a certain amount throughout. What was when you were watching this, what were the things that you felt you might have been able to help this jury understand a little better?
1: Yes, first of all, um, comment in regards to the prior defense attorney. Yeah, I completely understand why he would have brought Scientology into it because the bottom line is is that Scientology's organizational procedures enable someone, to continue committing egregious crimes. So any defense attorney worth their salt, in my opinion, would say, hey, this organization enabled my client to continue getting away with this.
0: Why would the defense want to say that, though?
1: Well, because they're trying to prove that uh, there was he was enabled.
0: So it wasn't his fault. That's right. Okay. Well, you know, Mesro, I, I don't think maybe that was his that,
1: Maybe, yeah, may, maybe not. But, but obviously, I could see that Scientology would have seen that as well. <laughs> then what if Danny just turns around and says, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I kept getting away with this because they never turned me into law enforcement and throw Scientology under the bus. So, uh-oh, let's get Scientology far, far, far away.
0: Well, it seemed to me that what Mesereau was doing, he wasn't doing that. He was basically saying that these women didn't were, were mischaracteri- mischaracterizing Scientology, that, mm-hmm. that they were claiming that Scientology wouldn't let them go to the police, and he was trying to claim that that wasn't true. And my, I argue the reason why he was doing that was that he was working for Miscavige at that point. He really right. wasn't do he really wasn't serving his client, Danny Masterson. He was serving David Miscavige, which then of course brings up, you know, some questions about well, who's paying the bill, right? Um right. Beca- because it really looked like his defense of Danny was compromised through the preliminary hearing. And you know, maybe that's why they got rid of him and, and Danny replaced him. So I don't know yeah. that Danny could use that as a defense to say, well, they let me do it so i did it i don't i don't really i don't think you could do that get away with that
1: yeah, maybe maybe not but but certainly he he was enabled by scientology uh, i mean but okay putting that aside though looking back on the testimony and listen i listened to of course your interview with the head juror right i do think that where scientology played into this um their their approach at the outset like in okay backing up a bit one of the biggest themes that I heard was the contradictions in the testimony in the court versus the original reports right and there's no question in my mind those contradictions were caused because of and by Scientology's involvement whether it be the fear factor The coaching of writing the reports, removing the word rape, you know, all these different elements where it's not it's I think it's hard. It would be hard for anybody to understand what it what it would have meant to the accuracy of a report to have Julian Schwartz sitting next to you writing a report and editing it. And like in in essence, that report was written by Julian Schwartz.
0: That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. That was one of the things that drove me the most crazy about that juror interview. And I just want to say, uh, I'm grateful to Chris Shelton that he brought me in on that. And also to this Mm -hmm. juror Earl, the jury foreman for talking to us while I was kind of horrified by some of the things he said, I was really glad that he explained to us the jury process. I thought the jury process was good. They obviously took the evidence seriously but, you know, they came up with some things that just really made me shake my head. For example, the thing you're talking about, Jane Doe 1 is the person who, um, after she says she was raped by Maston in April 2003, she immediately went to the church. And Julian Schwartz, the, the ethics officer, the master at arms at AO, AOLA, I believe, had her write a report, but told her, what she could and could not include, including the fact that he, she couldn't use the word rape, she couldn't put a mention of a gun in. See, none of that, none of that testimony came out in the trial, yeah. and that um, that Julian Schwartz, you know, he was editing the thing. So what what was surprising to me was in the closing statements by uh, uh, Philip Cohen, the defense attorney, he kept referring to that document like it was the gold standard, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, in two thousand three, she said this. Today she's right. saying that, and I'm like, yeah, but that was a Scientology document. I mean, you can right. tell us, Blair. How how reliable is a document like that?
1: It's complete and utter bullshit. I mean, here's the thing: I would be curious, actually, to know logistically how was that report written, because I would be willing to bet money that that it was in an in, in an ethics office, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, at a I'm computer. sure it was.
1: <laughs> Remove that. Uh, You know, like literally like the victim may as well have been Julian Schwartz's secretary. That would be my from my experience as most likely what I would have expected went down. And so to say that, you know, well, in this report, you wrote this and this and this. No, let's uh, let's walk, walk that back. Like, how did this report actually come to be? You know what I'm saying? Because Scientology will go to great lengths to protect themselves, as you know, and as I know, um, and they'll remove anything that has any kind of indication of any PR flap, you know, anything that would cause negative publicity, uh, you know, they go to great lengths to cover that up from the public.
0: And I, I only remember her arguing with Cohen over the date of it that it's Mm -hmm. dated like December, 2003. And she was arguing that it was actually produced later or something. And I was like, it didn't, it didn't come across as anything helpful. Um, What I, what I wanted to see was testimony about how it was actually produced. Like you said, because the idea that she's not telling the truth today because she's saying something different than a document produced with Julian Schwartz And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just insane. And yet you saw in the juror interview, they apparently took that seriously that, well, that, that was what she said back then. I couldn't believe it.
1: Yeah. And okay. So, so that brings me to my next point of my, you know, again, these are just my thoughts and perspective in retrospect. There were numerous or several instances where the, the, Multiple victims had later interactions. And to me, you have to understand and look at this from the perspective of a Scientologist. Specifically, as a Scientologist, if you so let's say I'm Scientologist A and my boyfriend is Scientologist B and he commits a crime against me and I report him to Scientology. Scientology then handles him. And in my view, that's handled. He's not going to do that again. So that,
0: that's a lot like what Jane Doe three said that she accepted right. what the ethics officer told her.
1: Right, but going back to what the head juror was saying, it, that really caused some doubt. Like if this person raped you, why would you then go do X, Y, and Z at a later date? Right. Anyway, oh, and before I forget, too, let's give special thanks to Earl's daughter. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. That was really, really helpful for her to, when he Mm -hmm. said the only reason he was there doing the interview was because of her. I was like, thank you, Earl's daughter. You're the best. We're
0: we're so fortunate. She's a fan of Chris Shelton's and she reads the bunker and she told him to, she wanted him to do it. And uh, we're just super fortunate because, you know, I think it really will help the DA understand where they could have done a better job, and clearly, I mean, weren't you shocked when he said how little they even considered the Scientology material?
1: Yes, and so the and the part about that that's just so frustrating is that obviously, having worked in at the upper ranks of, of Scientology for many many years, I have no doubt in my mind that there are probably. Thousands of documents, if I were to estimate, if you count all the places that these reports would have gone to RTC, you know, the uh, the data files, the personnel files, the ethics files, the PC files, like any and all reports. And not only that, um, being that Danny Masterson is a celebrity, that information also would have been reported directly to Dave and Shelley Miscavige at the time. Mm-hmm. because they would receive a report every week from the President celebrity center with updates of all the major celebrities and anything and everything that was happening with them.
0: Yeah. And, and part of it is a bit of a sticky problem because I know there are documents. I've seen some of these documents. They've actually been reported on in the press before. Mm-hmm. Um but court court is a different animal. It's like you can't just right. take a piece of paper and say, oh, look, here's Danny talking about the incident. Because you need to have the way court works, it's different. It's got to be you know spoken and somebody's got to like vouch for a document. And part of the problem, Claire, is that some of this evidence that I know about, that Leah knows about, Um, would be difficult to get in because you need a Scientologist to come in and validate it. And you saw what a disaster it was when they brought in one Scientology witness, Sean Fabos. I mean, it was just, you know, so this is the problem they know they have, is there are some other Scientologists that if they brought them in, could validate some documents that would be, I think, really important in this case. But they just can't take the risk of bringing these Scientologists in because they'll you know, who knows what they're going to say.
1: Yep, that's right. I know it's a it's a sad state of affairs and it's most awful for the victims here.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, because they know. And I think, um, look, I saw them at the preliminary hearing last year and they were arguing a little bit more with Mesro, And I think it, it seemed like this time they had learned just to say yes, no, and that kind of thing. And I thought mm-hmm. that made their testimony really strong this time. But now, in hindsight, and having talked to the juror, I think maybe they should have argued with Cohen a little bit more. You know, I I think maybe they thought they were doing the right thing by just saying yes, no, and anything that sounds bad will get cleared up on redirect. But you know, basically, I you know, I think they maybe should have fought with Cohen more and um, um, tried to get more explanations out. See, that was the other thing that struck me about this juror was the way he described how the jury handled information and the way he sort of criticized the prosecution. They want to be told a story. You know, Mm -hmm. I know you just want to show them evidence and hopefully they consider it all. They want to be told a story. And I think if Mueller is going to try this again, he's got to be a better storyteller. Right. And I think somebody like you could do that. And see, that would be interesting to me. What would your testimony be like now, now that you know the facts of the case, now does that make you disqualified or would that make you even more valuable to the prosecution? I don't know.
1: Right. I mean, and to be fair on that front, I still don't know the victims and I've still never talked to them. And my it, my testimony was only ever going to be in regards to how does Scientology treat an issue like this, where a, a crime is alleged what does scientology do what do the procedures policies and organizational mandates dictate as to how that is handled um and and i you know to to eliminate that removes a, a huge chunk of that story that you're talking about it is part of the story
0: it's part of the narrative you're absolutely right it,
1: and, it uh, the... and so if you have a weak narrative then the smoke and mirrors and and um you know Mr. X thrown up by Cohen become effective yeah, in well, terms of reasonable doubt.
0: They were with some of the jurors, not all of them, you know, no, uh, I know it's um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And then uh, let's take a look at some particular cases. So Jane Doe one, she knew Masterson. Um, they had a social history. They they'd even had a sexual encounter in September, 2002. And she went over to his place in September in April 2003, claims that he threw her in a jacuzzi, violently raped her. She immediately went to the Celebrity Center and reported it. And what I have reported in the past, it didn't come out in the trial so much, but I want to ask you about this. What I've reported in the past was how the Celebrity Center reacted was ask her to do past life counseling to find what evil things she had done in centuries or millennia past that would make her a victim in this lifetime can you help right. explain that i mean it just sounds so yeah. bizarre
1: it is i mean fundamentally the concept of victim is a, a 100% negative in scientology there is no such thing as a victim first of all if you are so removing that word from remove that word from your vocabulary as a Scientologist, you're not a victim. You pulled it in, which means that you have done things or committed crimes, or you've done similar things in the past that caused you to warrant this treatment. So that's where, you know, well, if you go, well, of course, you know, the victim would say, well, I've never raped anybody. So then right. they'll go, okay, great. Then let's look at past lives. <laughs> did you rape people in past lives?
0: And and in Scientology's, in the Hubbard's cosmos, a Phaeton over many lifetimes is sometimes going to be in a male body and sometimes be in a female body, right?
1: That's right. That's right. So it's not it's not impossible under Scientology tenets that the victim could have raped somebody in a prior lifetime that would thus quote unquote explain why she pulled it in. And, and, you know, everything about it, like victim is negative. Sympathy is negative. Uh, You know, if you're somebody who's looking for sympathy in Scientology is considered to be at the tone level of covert hostility which is depicted as a person with a sweet smile on their face, holding a dagger behind their back. Right. Like, in other words, they're going to backstab you a backstabber, the snake in the grass, the, you know, so, so anyone looking for sympathy or any anyone who's a victim is going to be treated like they're a bad person.
0: Right. I I always, I'm always, one of my favorite examples is the idea that, Saying that somebody reasonable is a terrible insult in Scientology, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, and oh, and reasonable is one. And my other personal favorite is someone who's critical. Because what
0: what does it mean to be critical then?
1: If you're critical, like for example, um, the victim going to the ethics officer and saying, Hey, Danny raped me, that person is being critical of Danny Masterson.
0: And it's a, and it's a, and it's not, and it's a bad thing.
1: Yes. It's 100% a negative. It means that 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 person has committed crimes against Danny Masterson in Scientology's belief system. Wow. So, so critical, if you're critical, like if I say, you know what, how David Miscavige handled this is absolutely not okay then of course, I'm being critical of David Miscavige and I have crimes against uh, against David Miscavige if I'm in the world of Scientology.
0: And not only are you not supposed to be turning in a fellow Scientologist and saying this fellow Scientologist raped me, but the fact that Danny is a celebrity who's part of a large Scientology family, that adds into it as well, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The... Um, In the world of Scientology, you know, it's a small world, as you know, as much as they represent that they're giant, they're actually not. Everybody knows everybody. So, you know, your friends, perhaps your employer, perhaps the person you're living with, you know, perhaps the person you're renting a room from their house is all interconnected. Right. So it just leaves very little... um, uh, room and, and the other the other critical part so is is the is the element of reporting to authorities and and I know I ran into this when we were in deposition in our lawsuit the the Scientology lawyers were like well why didn't you just call 911 <laughs> and yeah let's walk that back so my entire life 30 years in Scientology from birth to age 30 I've been taught repeatedly that government, police, media, they're all evil people bent on the destruction of Scientology and that anything that happens in Scientology must be dealt with internally for the protection of Scientology because outside agencies will use anything to destroy Scientology. I mean, it, you know, that's not... it. it <laughs> So a normal person, you go, well, sure, I'll call 911 or I'll call the non-emergency line. Like I had never called 911 ever (laughs) until, until, you know, whatever, a few years ago. And there was some guy puking on the road in the middle of the street. And I was like, "Uh oh, (laughs) that was the first. (laughs) Actually, no, no, I take it back. I called 911 in, no, the first time was in 2008 on Sunday okay. when Mark was in Germany at the conference that, that Ursula Kerberta hosted and right. Scientology sent a PI to our house banging on my door <sighs> at eight o'clock in the morning wow. when I was home alone with a two-year-old and a eight week old. And he, and I, I was like, what the heck's going on? And I went to the door, I opened it. And it was this guy with a briefcase and he said, um, I was sent here to ask about your husband's involvement in Scientology. And I, I was shocked. I mean, I had literally just gotten out of bed. And I said, excuse me? He said, I was sent here by the Church of Scientology to ask about your husband's involvement with Scientology. And I slammed the door in his face and called the police.
0: <laughs> yeah, good for you. And because they know, they knew you were their home alone. And they knew that's when to go and, and try and intimidate you.
1: Yep, Absolutely.
0: So the second person up was Jane Doe 3, who was in a six-year relationship with Danny. And the thing I wanted to ask you about in her case was that um, she described kind of getting used to his bad treatment of her until Mm -hmm. finally she had this thing where she woke up and she was in all this pain and she couldn't remember where she was the night before and she was bleeding and he, you know, kind of laughed at her and admitted that he'd had sex with her when she was uh, unconscious. And she then went to, that finally motivated her to go to the Celebrity Center. She talked to an ethics officer, this Miranda Scoggins. And Miranda Scoggins said, no, you can't, it's not rape. You can't rape somebody in a relationship. Don't use that word. And then they put her through this ethics program. And I guess the thing, the testimony, I don't remember her saying this at the prelim, but what she said this time that really struck me and I thought was a very important part of her case was it wasn't just that she'd been through this horrible experience and that she'd gone to Scientology and was told these bizarre things. But what's important was she believed it. You know, she was a Scientologist. She believed what the ethics officer told her. And so for years and years, she did not consider it rape, even though, according to her, Danny had admitted that he'd had sex with her when she was unconscious. And so I was just going to ask you about that, that, that is, is this hold on people so strong that, you know, what the ethics officer told her, she just accepted.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, from beginning to end, especially the the ethics officer has ultimate power over you, really, at the end of the day, like, are you going to be able to talk to your mom tomorrow? I don't know. It depends on the, what the ethics officer says. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I mean, are you going to have a job tomorrow? Well, not if the ethics officer tells your employer, who's a Scientologist, that you're out ethics. No, you're going to be SOL. So, yes, the ethics officer has extreme power and extreme um, mental and emotional manipulation and leverage over a person's mentality.
0: Uh, that's that was uh, so so because I I know that some people I talked to would criticize the case and say oh yeah so a woman finally figured out years later she'd been raped, and I was trying to explain well it's not quite like that it's just Scientology had told her she wasn't raped and it wasn't until she'd gotten away from Scientology and got some real world experience that she realized wait a minute, and I don't yes. know for me that that to me that doesn't seem you know far-fetched but apparently the jury just you know once the jury decided not to consider scientology then that explanation doesn't work i guess
1: right well you have to factor in that scientology was intimately involved in these events and in the um the handlings and and again i'll bring up you know if the ethics officer says well you know danny's an upstat meaning he's he is donating money to Scientology and he is promoting Scientology from his position as a celebrity. You know, he has ethics protection.
0: Those exact words came up in testimony. You're right. And they they came up again and again that Danny's up he's got ethics protection and that, you know, there, she, Jane Doe three was told, you're just not going to, you know, you just need to accept your role as his girlfriend and give him sex whenever he wants, because he's got this protection.
1: Right. And, and paraphrased the Hubbard policies on it. And again, this is not religious belief. This is organizational procedures and policies, in my opinion, that you have to differentiate those. According to the policies of Hubbard, it says, if a person's an upstat and you receive a report, paraphrased you file it with a yawn <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. in other words they don't give a shit if he raped somebody if as he's an upstat as... in psychology they do not give a shit
0: yeah and then and what?
1: and then you factor in okay so if he's an upstat and the ethics officer is telling you, Hey, he's an upstat, you're pulling it in. Well, then of course you're going to go, okay, fine. I'll do the ethics program and it's smoke and mirrors. It all comes back on yourself. Any bad thoughts you have about the, the, the perpetrator or Scientology or Scientology's handling of it is all because you've done something wrong. You know, it's extreme mental manipulation and, yeah uh, it just is. So the, that's where to me, the, you know, the coaching of how those reports were written again, if I'd love to know the details of exactly how, how that went down, like actual physically paint the picture for me of how this went down. Right. Because that will explain why there are huge discrepancies. (laughs) or not huge discrepancies, just differences. You know what I'm saying?
0: And then both Jane Doe 2 and Jane Doe 4 are actresses um, and you know were, were acting at the time. And they talked about, both of them in different ways, talked about the influence that this organization had in Hollywood at that time. And, yes. you know, okay, Danny's attacked you, but then years later, you end up in an audition. I mean, the way Trisha Vesey, Jane Four explained it, was like, you know, she didn't want to cause any problems with Scientology, and they were a lot more powerful in Hollywood then, right?
1: Yes. Absolutely. They they I mean, they were.
0: Did you have any experience with that at all?
1: Um, well, not a huge amount. I mean, I was I was um public at Celebrity Center from uh eighty-nine to ninety one, which is when I joined the C organization. So so I I knew um Marissa and Giovanni Rabisi and um I mean Danny was actually at the Celebrity Center doing the Key to Life course, the, you know, one of the courses on communication in a trailer. Ironically at the time it was before the Celebrity Center renovations were complete, but um So certainly there were celebrities running around there. Um, Lisa Marie was in the president's office. I didn't ever see Tom Cruise there, but um, John Travolta was there a a few times that I was there. And so, yes, absolutely. They always presented a very encompassing, uh, like, oh, this is where everybody hangs out. Of course, it's a very small group, again, in actuality, but the, the presentation was such that you'd think, oh, well, I, they, they have powerful celebrities associated with Scientology. You don't want to go poking that hornet's nest. You don't want to become an enemy of that, especially not in a climate like Hollywood.
0: Right. And um, you, do, you mentioned that you didn't see Tom Cruise at the sub Center, but of course you did see him at, at base. Yes, We talked about that last time that you were his examiner. Yes. So you have plenty of experience with Tom Cruise. Um, yes. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question that Scientology had much more influence in Hollywood in the 90s and they have less today. But I kind of understood what Trisha was talking about when she said that, you know, if you were an actor at that time, you just didn't want to get on Scientology's bad side.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. For sure. I mean, it's funny. I was trying to one time I was trying to find an article because um, at the time that I was at Celebrity Center, Tommy Davis was in the president's office there. He tried to recruit me for the CR at one point. But several years later, when I was in RTC, there was an article. And I've again, I've never been able to find it since. But it was kind of like, oh, the top 50 most powerful people in Hollywood and of course Tom Cruise was on the list, but so was Toby Davis by my recollect, by my recollection. He was low on the list, but still that was pretty like mm. <laughs> Anyway.
0: Well, uh besides all the Scientology evidence that was in the trial. Let me first let me ask you were there other things that you saw that I haven't asked you about that you thought, "Oh, I would have something to say about that or testify about that if I got the chance."
1: Um I think we've covered it. The main thing was simply that I'm, you know, again, I'm sure that Scientology has plenty of evidence regarding the allegations. And so removing that part is significant.
0: Um, Well, yeah, let me ask you about that. There There are some things that did not get in. And in particular, I wanted to ask you about this. In the prelim last year, Jane Doe One was testified about and was asked about. In fact, she was, in fact, she didn't bring it up. Tom Mesro, the defense attorney, did Mm -hmm. said that she had filled out, she had created something called an OW report. Can you can you explain briefly what an OW report is in Scientology?
1: Yes. So this ties back to the ethics handlings and specifically the part we were talking about in regards to if you are the victim of an alleged crime or of a crime, you pulled it in. Like in other words, it's entirely on you. And one of its the standard handlings that an ethics officer will do is to have a person do an OW write-ups. L- literally what that stands for is overts and withholds. Overts is crimes you've committed and withholds is you, the act of withholding it. So in other words, you know, Billy Bob steals a ball from the grocery store and then he withholds it. He doesn't tell his mom that he stole this ball. He doesn't tell his friend. His friend says, oh, where did you get that ball from? He withholds it. So it's literally writing up over it, some over it, some withholds. And it's an, again, following an exact procedure. So you state what the overt was or what the withhold was, and then you write down Time, place, form, and event. Time, obviously, when it happened. Place, where it happened. Form, exactly what you did and how you did it. How you carried out this quote-unquote crime. And uh, form an event as event is kind of like any other details associated with it. And same for withholds. You follow the same process. So that is 100% a standard handling that is carried out by an ethics officer, and when, when you do an OW write-up, or an overt and withhold write-up, you then have to pass a meter check from the ethics officer to signify that you're actually done, where this the ethics officer will put you on the meter, holding the cans, the e-meter, and say, in this OW write-up, did you falsify anything? Did you withhold anything? Is this OW write-up complete? And if you flunk any of those questions, you have to go back and keep writing.
0: And when somebody's doing one of these OW write-ups, is that handwritten? Yes. Right.
1: At least at least in my experience, yes. I've done OW write-ups both handwritten and on the computer. But at least by my experience, when it's as a, a public person doing it, you'd be literally sitting in the MAA's office writing, you know, handwriting. So I've never seen a public doing a typed up. OW write-up. Maybe okay. they do now. I don't well, know. Well,
0: the reason I bring that up was that uh, in the prelim, Tom Mesereau, uh confronted Jane Doe 1 with an OW write-up that was typed up. And it contained, okay. and it apparently contained some sort of, what the defense felt were some damning, because basically what you're describing is a confessional, right? You're supposed to write down all the bad things yes. you've done, all the secrets you've kept, it's basically a confessional document. and um, That's right. D- Mesero was basically trying to quiz her from this document that she had admitted some things in this document. And what was interesting was that she denied ever seeing this thing. And that um, A, not only did she not recognize what was in it, B, she said, I've never typed up an OW report in my life. I've always written them. So then, and this got totally missed, and I should have made a bigger deal at the time. But what was really interesting was, Mesro then asked her, where did this document come from? And you can check the testimony. She said, my understanding is a Scientology private investigator gave it to your investigator. Wow. Yes. I don't think very many people realize- Gosh. What she's saying, what she's saying is that this document she doesn't recognize that apparently is supposed to make her look bad came from a Scientology PI.
1: Wow. That and, gave it, and, and that gave it to the
0: defense.
1: Yeah. And, and what about the contradiction here? So Scientology is not in this case, I guess, because it's considered religion but yet they're providing documents that according to Scientology's own policies are confidential.
0: It's, so uh, how... you know, I know I should have made a bigger deal at the time. It's the kind of thing that should oh, be oh, in a retrial. You oh, can
1: bring religion into it when it benefits Scientology, even putting aside the very, very questionable, I mean, the source of that document. And yeah, like I said, so, we're talking what the early 2000s when she would have written this OW write up,
0: yeah,
1: right. So, had she written the OW write up, like I said, if it was part of an ethics handling, it would have been done in the MAA's office with the MA, the ethics officer. MAA ethics officer is the same thing, master at arms ethics officer, with that whoever was doing the handling with her sitting there. And watch, you know, having her write up her OWs until she was done, and then doing a meter check, and oh no, you're not done, keep writing, you know, until she had a floating needle on the meter check. So absolutely, like I said, for a public person, um, I would definitely expect that to be handwritten. I mean, you do you do OW write ups on the life orientation course, and those are all handwritten. You do, pro- you do probably actually you do twenty one OW write ups on the life orientation course. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, like I said, that was in the prelim. It didn't come up at trial, but it's the kind of thing I do expect to come up in the civil lawsuit eventually, because I think, I mean, what she was suggesting there was that Scientology was actively trying to affect the Danny Masterson criminal prosecution possibly mm-hmm. with some dirty tricks. And that's exactly what the civil lawsuit is about. So I was—I just thought I'd bring that up with you because you know what an OW write-up is. And for most people, it's just, you know, what's Ortega talking about? But you can see that, that that's a pretty serious accusation she made.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, I, I hope, been- uh, I mean, I <laughs> hope they retry it and I hope maybe they even bring get a chance to bring you in. I mean, I think that would be really interesting.
1: Yes, yeah, I, like I said, I'm happy to help. I don't, uh, you know, yes, I've been following the case, as have many people, but I I have had no, you know, per, I've never talked to any of the victims. And more to the point, if I were to ever provide any, the, the testimony that I was going to provide was strictly and only regarding Scientology's p- policies and procedures with how they deal with things like this so that I certainly have a lot of experience with so
0: well this uh <laughs> this a jury apparently needed to hear more of it because they what they heard from the victims they pretty much disregarded
1: yeah ironically I think I've told you this before when I first was promoted into RTC in 1996 I was supposed to be um I was but I did RTC representative training in Clearwater. And I was then supposed to be stationed at Celebrity Center as the RTC rep. (laughs) So that never ended up happening because Mark got in trouble and uh, complained to Shelly that I was going to be posted in LA. Um, So that's a whole other story, but it's, it's kind of ironic just because I would have ended up being the person to handle some of these things. Uh, that would well, never Well,
0: Speaking of other stories, I do want to spend a little time with your thoughts about Kirstie Alley. Uh, yes. I think it was a shock to all of us that she died at only 71. And of course the family hadn't let on that she was sick at all. Um, yes. And then since then we managed to report that, I mean, the church put out a statement and then they held a small private Memorial of some kind at the flag at the Fort Harris hotel ballroom on Sunday, yes. but nothing at the Hollywood celebrity center. Um And I don't know anything you want to, do you have any thoughts about Kirstie personally about uh how she died about the, what well, we know she died of colon cancer now uh about the way it was handled by the church. Any thoughts? I just, I, I just thought I'd ask you to see what you had in mind.
1: Yes. I mean, look, it's a tragedy when, Death, death is never pleasant for anybody, no matter who they who they are, who they were. Um, I I was involved with Kirsty several times when she came to the Int Base um, when she was they were trying to handle her not to divorce or uh, when she was ha- her marriage with Parker was on the rocks um, and several other times. Um, you know, she always seemed like a. Um, a sweet person to me. But, you know, obviously, since leaving her attacks on people, while I understand them, um, that was that was tough, you know, because you see, and again, I can understand the mindset that she had, and why she was doing what she was doing. It's sad that um, I don't know, it's, it's, I'm, it's sad for her family. It's sad that Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps it could have been prevented had she not been so focused on, you know, Scientology, but every once in a while getting proper healthcare and, and follow up and, you know. And let's, the, let's talk
0: about that for a moment. I mean, uh, we don't know the particulars in her case. Um, colon cancer, though, is one of those things that if you catch it early, there's pretty good track record of, of treating it. Um, yes. And Scientologists are not prohibited from getting medical care. Like, you know, Christian no. science is a different kind of thing. But Hubbard was very down on the medical profession. Scientologists tend to be somewhat skeptical also of standard medicine and tend to look for alternatives. Um, and I guess there is a the suggestion that when somebody's not feeling good, that they might first turn to auditing. And by the time they go to a doctor, things are a little too late. I think that was what both... Yeah. Mike uh, Rinder and Leah Remini were suggesting in some of those stories. It's not that you can't go to the doctor. It's just that Scientologists will often put it off because they want to try these Scientology handlings and then it ends up being too late. Is that your um, experience?
1: Very definitely. The amount of people that I, I personally knew who died from cancer at the imp base was really, really tragic, really tragic. And of course, on a public level, it's different. It's not that extreme. Like at the base, it was, we were meaning at the headquarters of Scientology and in the C organization, the conditions were, you know, you're often getting very little sleep. So you're always exhausted, fatigue, weight loss, all of those things were just commonplace. Like someone would get removed from post and be put on an ethics handling. And you'd be like, it would be obvious because they would have lost 30 pounds you'd be like oh that person's in trouble um but very oftentimes those things those factors made it so that the person just felt exhausted and horrible physically for years before they finally saw a doctor and then it was often stage four so that's was my experience at the headquarters but for a public it wasn't quite that extreme. However, yes, if someone's sick, they're labeled as being a potential tro- uh, trouble source. So that means they're connected to a suppressive person. And the, the processes, the procedures in Scientology are to handle it with Scientology, not, well, wait a minute, you were sick last month and the month before. Have you seen a medical doctor? <laughs> you know, that's nev- never a part of the conversation. It's always like, oh, well, you we should do some more auditing. And it's, of course, I think it's fairly well-known too that Hubbard believed that OT5 addressed and handled cancer specifically.
0: Right. Leah was telling me about this, that on OT5... Yes. I mean from OT three to OT seven, you're basically trying to find these invisible entities on you called body thetans and right. uh handle their problems and or drive them away. And specifically on OT5, you're trying to handle the body thetans in you that could cause cancer. Is that is that how it goes?
1: Yes. Or wow. or they actually even that they are cancer. Okay. Those but that yeah, the, absolutely that that is the the source and cause of it. So therefore, if you get rid of those through counseling, you'll cure the cancer.
0: And so an OT eight, like Kirsty might have thought, well, I can't be sick with anything like that. I dealt with that on OT five.
1: Yes. Or they would, they would have had her do what's called review auditing where they go. Well, um, you know, you, you, there must be something wrong with that level. You didn't, you, you, didn't complete it fully, or we're gonna do some review auditing to correct what's wrong because obviously you shouldn't have cancer.
0: Right.
1: Or, again, on the on the other part of it, they'd be like, well, you you must be PTS. So, who are you PTS to? Potential trouble source, meaning you're connected to someone who's a suppressive person who's bent on the destruction of Scientology. And, you know, most likely people would be like, well, yeah, she was attacking all these SPs on the internet and it finally got the better of her.
0: Oh, wow. That's how they might see that. Yes. And, you know, you've made several references to that, specifically when Leah Remini. Uh, went public with with leaving Scientology in 2013, and then wrote her book in 2015. Kirstie we're pretty regularly tangled with her on social media, and criticized her, called her names. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Kirstie kind of took it upon herself to be the sort of you know defender of Scientology, and really had some unkind things to say to to Leah Remini. Um, yeah, and and, uh, and Leah gave and her I- back throw to too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the sad part about that is that it's not uncommon for someone to be tasked with doing things like that as part of lower conditions in Scientology, Uh, you know, the condition of liability when you're no longer part of the group and it's you're basically like shit canned within your own little world of Scientology. So let's say let's say something had come up and she was in a condition of liability. She might have been assigned to do that as part of making up the damage.
0: Right. And while focusing on that and her I'm sure she was a very busy woman and then you know, um colon cancer should not be able to sneak up on you. I mean, you once you're after over 50, you should have a colonoscopy once in a while. I've had my first one and the doctor said see in 5 years and let me tell you, if you haven't had it, it's no big deal. Go get it. You find out. Yeah. You want to know. And, yeah. uh, you know, if if she was getting regular colonoscopies, she, you know, because that was what they said was a short battle with cancer. And I think people were like, what do you mean a short battle with cancer? Um, right. And at, when it's colon cancer, I mean, it's, you know, so we don't know. We don't know the specifics, but it fits some things we've seen with Scientologists that they try to take care of things through auditing they don't go to the doctor in time by the time they go to the doctor things are too late we've seen that time and time again but we don't know if that's specifically the case with with kirsty um but it's just a shame i mean i you know i didn't i didn't like the insults she aimed at leah but in general you know i thought she was a funny talented kick in the pants you know
1: absolutely i would have loved for her to have broken free and gotten her kids out
0: yeah. People are asking me all the time are her children Scientologists. And you know, I'm careful about these things, Claire. I don't like to say stuff, you know, but I, you know, it's pretty clear her daughter, Lily is a Scientologist as far as William, her son, who goes by true. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't have good sources on that. So I can't say for sure one way or the other, but I, I, I suspect that they both are. And, right. um, you know, it's, uh, I don't think Parker is, even though Parker lives in Clearwater, I don't think Parker's had anything to do with it. That's part of what, you know, caused their divorce. Um, He actually put out, there's been some documents from their divorce released where he was talking very critically about how Kirstie wanted to handle it through the church. And he just found that ridiculous. So um, I don't know. It's 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 my knowledge. Marty,
1: Marty Rathbun was involved in that at some point. Oh, the
0: divorce? Yeah.
1: I thought, if I remember correctly, don't quote me on it, because I, I, but I thought he was actually, at one point, doing marriage counseling with both Kirstie and Parker.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh,
1: yeah. There's no, there's no question. Scientology was all up in her business, and it's, it's really sad. I'm sad for her family, no matter what, you know, it's, um. I wish it it could have been prevented and didn't go this way but you know right. certainly the 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 way Scientology deals with it it would absolutely lead to cancer progressing and not being caught while you're paying for auditing and counseling and handlings and doing all these other things and oops oops now, hey, now you... you know,
0: I got rid of the cancer body things. Wow, this, you know, this right. shouldn't be happening to me, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Crazy. Yeah. And then. Exactly. Um,
1: Which, you know, ironically, I mean, you know, read the warning on the e-meter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which they were forced to put on after a 1971 court ruling.
1: Yeah. What is it? This device does not is not approved and does not cure any physical ailment or something like that.
0: This device is, cannot be used to diagnose any disease. I think it's some of the, some of the yeah. language, but yeah. that was the F this was back in the late fifties, early sixties. The FDA got interested in Scientology back then. The FDA actually went after people that made false health claims. Today you get a TV series if you make false health claims, but back then the FDA was kind of tough. And they actually raided Scientology in 1963 and confiscated a bunch of e-meters. And it was in the courts for eight years. I mean, this is the thing. Scientology just fights tooth and nail. And finally, in 1971, they agreed to a settlement where Scientology agreed to put this label on every e-meter saying this is not a medical device. But you tell me, are they still – do you think Scientologists today, 2022 – The few Scientologists that are left, do they still expect that Scientology will provide them with good health and curing of disease?
1: Absolutely. No question about it. Wow. Yep. Clear OT. It's, you know, your life will be forever changed. Amazing. Amazing. That's the, you know, and, and every every aspect of Scientology, that's why I, in retrospect, go, you know, it is literally the emperor's new clothes to yeah. a T. Yeah. Because, you know, all the OT success stories that they print in the magazines, like, oh my goodness, I was driving on the freeway and all of a sudden I got, I just knew that there was an accident coming up. And I pulled over and it's like, and Mark and I have joked about it sometimes. We're like, yeah, living in LA, that's bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is, and the, just everything about it, you know, you never question that Scientology is the answer to everything. Wow. How does a Scientologist deal with life? With and in Scientology.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah people need to know that to understand the celebrities and people need to know that if they're going to be on a jury, trying to judge the way Scientologists handle trauma.
1: Right. <clears throat>
0: well, exactly. I'm disappointed that you didn't get a chance to tell this jury that maybe there's a chance in the future, but Claire, thank you so much for helping us understand these things.
1: Of course. Anytime. It's my pleasure. It's I know it's very important to help people understand and anything i can do to help clarify i am always here
0: (laughs) all right thank you very much claire